Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Preparing for the end of the pandemic. So we are seeing some very positive signs and trends over time. As other provinces abandon safeguards, why Dr. Henry says it's too soon for BC. The deadliest year yet. Our province is in a worse place than it has ever been. Calls for urgent action as toxic drugs take more lives than ever. And rising from the ashes. I'm hoping that we can get the the town rebuilt in two years. The province pledges millions to help rebuild Lytton. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Alberta and Saskatchewan are making big moves to lift COVID-19 measures, but BC won't be following their lead, at least not yet. A timeline on next steps is coming next week, but today Dr. Henry announced a new vaccine mandate for healthcare workers not already covered by the current one. Richard Zussman explains. While other provinces are lifting COVID vaccine mandates, British Columbia adding them. We are moving ahead uh, with the new order in place for regulated health professionals. Starting March 24th, a wide range of healthcare workers will need to be vaccinated against COVID to keep their jobs. This includes chiropractors, dentists, dental hygienists, massage therapists, naturopaths, occupational therapists, optometrists, pharmacists and physiotherapists. It's important for us to protect our own health as part of being able to continue to contribute into the health care of others. The list, only part of the group now required to get vaccine, including all workers overseen by medical colleges. Three months ago, when acute care and long-term care workers received their mandate, this shift was alluded to. So what took so long to catch up? It really was... um, technical operational issues behind the scenes. It was not the intent. Um, The intent has been agreed to from the very beginning. Some chiropractors pushed back against the mandate, the province sending a warning to healthcare professionals who spread misinformation. The college has a process to deal with complaints, uh, the College of Physicians and Surgeons and the other colleges. The province continues to grapple with how long BC may need vaccine mandates from workers to vaccine cards. The province insistent they work. And there's a huge difference between someone who's vaccinated and someone who's unvaccinated. I guess it's like saying uh, um, Christine St. Clair and I both play soccer. There's a qualitative difference to that. Um, And one of us may be more likely to score a goal than than the other. As for general restrictions around capacity limits in certain industries, Dr. Henry sending a strong signal change is coming. But on how far the province will go, those details will come February 15th. Virtues of from Global News, Victoria. All right, let's take a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for BC. We have 893 people in hospital now. 143 of those patients are in ICU. There have been 18 more COVID-related deaths, including one person in their 40s. 
We now have just under 22,000 active cases in our province and 1,187 people in B.C. have tested positive for COVID-19 in the last day. Calgary joins us to talk more about the B.C. interior, which is still mm. being hit hard by COVID, Keith, both healthcare workers and in the community. Yeah, as we've seen through the pandemic, Sophie, uh, COVID-19 behaves differently at different times in different regions. And for the last few weeks, the interior has been hit particularly hard. About 400 people testing positive in a population over two weeks when the population there is about 850,000 people. So on a per capita basis, the interior is in a pretty rough shape compared to others. The number of uh, active cases is by far the most anywhere in B.C., uh, 922 for 100,000 people, compares to Fraser's of 511. Hospitalizations very high in that area, 23 for every 100,000 people. Fraser considerably lower. And basically, uh, uh, no difference between Fraser and the interior when it comes to ICU cases. We're basically talking about the central Okanagan, Kelowna, Penticton, and parts of the Kootenays and Kamloops, where on a per capita basis, the cases are quite high. Health Minister Adrian Dick singling out interior today, particularly interior healthcare workers who are paying the price here for big cases and much sickness on the job. We're seeing across BC and we continue to see the impact of COVID-19 on their staff. And I want to particularly note the efforts in interior health. You'll note both in terms of healthcare worker days lost, but also in terms of surgeries canceled. That's where we're facing some of our biggest challenges and where the staff at interior health continues to go above and beyond the call. So again, health-related absences on the job for frontline healthcare workers continue to be a big problem. A big reason why a number of surgeries continue to have to be rescheduled. More than 17,000 workers last week reporting ill for at least one day. The number's going down a little bit from week to week, but it's still a big problem as Omicron continues to infect a lot of people, including a lot of healthcare mm -hmm. workers. Still in this fifth wave. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Well, more than seven months after almost the entire town of Lytton was destroyed by fire, the provincial government is committing more than $8 million to rebuild the community. Ted Chernecki has the details and whether the town's officials are satisfied with Victoria's response. Seven months later, precious little has been done in Canada's hotspot. There are some temporary structures, like a trailer for a post office. The fire department survived, as did a few other buildings. According to BC assessments, 187 out of 193 residential and business properties were damaged by the fire, and two-thirds of those were destroyed. There's no direction. There's no optimism, because nobody knows what is going to happen. More than buildings and livelihoods went up in flames last June, so did all the bureaucratic paperwork that makes a town function. Lytton today is in effect a lawless town. Whatever civic bylaws it had in place, permits, property tax records, all gone. It was such a complex issue what happened here in Lytton, losing all the, losing all the information and it, it, it's like it's like nothing was there that you could begin with and lay the foundation for a recovery on. The mayor says what really is needed is for the federal and provincial governments to lead the way. Because with five federally regulated First Nations bands in the area, rebuilding is a lot harder than you would think. You need to have these people at the table because we can dream up all sorts of wonderful institutions. But who's going to pay for them? Right? And will they pay for them? 6.3 million is immediate to help Lytton pay cleanup costs and fix the town's water and wastewater systems. In addition, today's legislation will allow the village council to repeal and replace bylaws as needed. This is really good to have this 8.3 announced. 
This sign urges drivers to not stop for the next three kilometers because this is still an area with increased respiratory risk. Keep your windows up and recycle your vehicle's air. Environmental assessments are also slowing progress. To understand the magnitude of this rebuild, the Insurance Bureau of Canada has updated its estimates of insurance losses from 78 to $102 million. Ted Chernack, Global News. Canada's population is growing, and British Columbia in particular is exploding. Census data out today shows people are flocking to a number of communities in this province. As John Hua reports, the weather isn't the only reason people are making the move. Countless people have come for the scenery. Many have stayed for the housing supply. I'm not surprised. I mean, it's pretty obvious when you try to find a parking spot downtown. There's no infrastructure yet. They need to fix it. Squamish is just one of the many communities in British Columbia that have seen an explosion in growth, according to newly released 2021 census population data. We really now have solid data to show that the growth is real and it's substantial. In Canada, the population reaching nearly 37 million growing 5.2% over the past five years. British Columbia, the only Western province to exceed the national average, with a population of more than 5 million people for the first time. That's 7.6% growth. Especially in a place like BC that's quite desirable to live, if you build housing, people will come. BC was also the only Western province to see more people move here from across the country than move out. Over the five-year span, this province saw a net increase of more than 97,000 when it comes to interprovincial migration. And we've got a relatively diverse economy um, that can support a lot of growth and in a relatively sustainable fashion. It's no surprise the suburbs and bedroom communities account for some of the fastest growing in the province. Langford taking the top spot with a 31.8% surge in its population from 2016 to 2021. Lake Country outside of Kelowna jumping 22.4%. And Squamish not far behind with about 22% growth over five years. The upside is that we've gained a lot of really talented and energized new community members. I think the downside is, is that you know, we grapple with the change um, and the pressure on all of our assets. The hard data will reinforce calls to upper levels of government for added support and infrastructure like regional transit, hospitals and schools. This data also a chance to see if existing policies actually made a difference. We can kind of take this initial assessment about really the impact of things like the empty home tax. The bottom line on top of a net increase in homegrown British Columbians with many more people moving here from across the country and around the world. The biggest question is how do we keep up? John Hua, Global News. Vancouver gets back in the game. Why the city could be in play to host some of the games for Soccer World Cup 2026 after rejecting the idea just a few short years ago. That's next on the News Hour. A Prince George nightclub pretending like COVID doesn't exist. That's later on the News Hour. Also tonight, the largest wave ever recorded off the coast of B.C. and why experts say it's not the only rogue out there. Right now, though, an about-face by the NDP government is creating a buzz for B.C. soccer fans and the hard-hit tourism and hospitality sectors. Premier John Horgan says B.C.'s bid to host games during the 2026 FIFA World Cup is now back on the table after the province took a pass on hosting back in 2018. Grace Key reports. I have to make sure that taxpayers aren't on the hook 
uh, for unknown costs at the whim of FIFA. I'm just not prepared to sign off on that, and nor is the Minister of Finance. That was Premier John Horgan back in 2018 saying BC wasn't going to sign a blank check to host the 2026 FIFA Men's World Cup Games in Vancouver. Playing hard to get may be paying off. FIFA is back courting BC. We have uh, a need to attract people back to British Columbia for our tourism industry, for our hospitality sector, and the prospect of events, whether it be FIFA, whether it be the Invictus Games, which is very much in play as well, are all things that we're happy to entertain, provided we have a full understanding of what the costs will be. Canada, the U.S. and Mexico are joint hosts. It's possible Vancouver could get three to five games. As for an economic benefit, you only have to look back at the 2015 FIFA Women's World Cup in Vancouver. The benefits to the city was about $82 million in economic impact, $118 million to the province. So those numbers are very significant, and we could see much more than that if we hosted the FIFA Men's World Cup in 2026, hundreds of millions of dollars potentially if we get as many as five games here. The BC Hotel Association says it's been engaged with the FIFA organization team over recent months, adding these events are critical to the well-being of businesses across BC along with our provincial economy. It is important that we remain agile and quickly regain our position as a leading events destination in this highly competitive market. Edmonton and Toronto are in the mix as possible host cities. Now there could be a last-minute change in play. And like every great game, a decision may come down to the wire. FIFA is expected to make an announcement in the spring. Grace Key, Global News. Coming up, a victim of the so-called grandparent scam. It is just so devastating. What happened to her that's a powerful warning to others, including the bank that let her do it. Also tonight, a disturbing danger to dogs, where it was discovered later. Good evening. Traffic is steady over here both ways at the Alex Fraser Bridge. And good news, just cleared a stalled vehicle after the Alex Fraser Bridge on the Nordell exit. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. Police say a shooting outside a gas station in Surrey last night is believed to be connected to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. The shooting happened just before midnight at 168th Street and 104 Avenue in the Fraser Heights neighborhood. Two people were found with gunshot wounds inside a car. The woman is in serious condition. And because the man has life-threatening injuries, the homicide team has now been called in. So because of the life-threatening injuries that the man is suffering from, that is the reason the IHIT was engaged. Uh, so any uh, assistance that we require from them, from their investigator, any guidance that they can provide to our serious crime unit, uh, that is their role at this point. Police say the victims are known to police. No arrests have been made so far. Well, it's a scam that convinces unsuspecting seniors to hand over thousands of dollars to criminals. The bail money scam, also known as the grandson scam, fools its victims into helping a family member in trouble. It's terrible. Let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrew now, who has more on a 93-year-old senior Anne who recently lost 
thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's a terrible story. Thanks, Chris. The grandson scam is a scam that continues to target seniors. The Canadian Bankers Association, which represents Canadian banks, says financial institutions are aware of this scam and staff members are trained to ask probing questions if a customer makes an unusual transaction. But some wonder if those questions go far enough. You wanted to warn people? I wanted to uh, warn uh, uh, the neighbors. Esther Rice posted this message on her gate right after she and her husband were scammed. It is just so devastating. On January 11th, the 93-year-old says she and her 88-year-old husband received a phone call from a fraudster claiming to be a lawyer representing her grandson who was in trouble. He said he was taken to jail and uh, and he ne- the, his lawyer wants to bail him out. Esther says she had heard about these types of scams targeting seniors, but says the fraudster sounded so convincing. We were hypnotized almost or mesmerized by these people. The scammer instructed Esther to withdraw $8,900 in cash. And if anyone at the bank asked what the funds were for, she was to say she needed the money for renovations. Esther says a staff member at the CIBC, where she has been banking since the 1970s, did suggest a bank draft, but the fraudster had convinced Esther cash was the only option. Esther had a $1,000 limit at the ATM, but says bank staff eventually raised her limit so she could withdraw the funds. I really didn't know how to even withdraw from the ATM machine, and she did it for me. The scam artist eventually arrived, taking off with the couple's money, close to $9,000, now gone. I feel so bad about being taken. Esther's daughter, Joe Rice, says the bank should have asked more questions. My mother doesn't normally take out this much cash, so maybe there could be more uh, of a protocol and more questions asked. When Consumer Matters reached out to CIBC about Esther's case, we were told... Our team is trained to ask questions when transactions do not fit a client's usual banking pattern and to offer alternatives to cash, such as a bank draft payable to a verified payee, which we did in this case. But some say banks could be doing more. Sensitizing their employees who deal with older adults, who tend to bank more in branch, who they can have more detailed conversations with in person, um, But I'm not seeing that. Back at Esther's home, she's recovering, now sharing her story with the hope it helps others from falling for this senseless crime. All the joys, it's completely gone. I'm I'm so afraid now. And Surrey RCMP say the investigation is ongoing to locate a suspect in Esther's case. Meantime, police are urging people to talk to the seniors in their lives and warn them about this scam. Anyone who falls victim should contact local police, even if no money was handed over. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. North Vancouver RCMP are warning dog owners to be vigilant after they say treats were placed next to pieces of glass in a popular park. Police say the glass was spotted in Mosquito Creek Park along a hollowed-out tree stump near Glen Canyon Drive on Monday. It appears no dogs have been hurt, but RCMP say incidents like this have happened before and are very upsetting for people. People should feel safe walking with their pets in local trails and parks. There's absolutely no reason anyone should feel afraid that their dog is going to be attracted to something that could ultimately harm them. 
Um, but it does require, you know, people to be aware that these things do happen. Anyone with information on this incident or any others is asked to call North Vancouver RCMP. Actor-comedian Bob Saget did not die of a heart attack or a stroke. What we're now learning about his death coming up. But first, the party in Prince George. 2022, baby! No math! How Dr. Henry is reacting to an illegal nightclub breaking all the rules. And toxic street drugs kill more people than ever in B.C. Who's most at risk? Good evening. Traffic is steady both ways over Highway 99 and the Massey Tunnel. Just keep in mind there is some overnight road work and lane closures northbound on the 99 just south of the Massey Tunnel. With BCAA car insurance, it's easy to renew from anywhere. From ICBC auto plan renewals to exclusive savings, visit bcaa.com today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Truckers protesting at a vital Canada-U.S. border crossing are digging in. The Ambassador Bridge between Windsor and Detroit is blocked to U.S. traffic coming into Canada. And that is impacting the supply chain and the flow of goods. Global Sean O'Shea has more on the mayor's plea for help and what police are saying about a timeline. Like a backup goalie in hockey, the Blue Water Bridge has suddenly been called into action. Because a couple of hours away in Windsor, protesters are still not letting trucks cross the much larger Ambassador Bridge into Canada. This man, who calls himself Greg, defends the ongoing blockade. Why do I think I have the right? Why does any protester think he has the right to do anything? For three days, shipments have been diverted and slowed down, frustrating many driving those delayed rigs and infuriating industries that count on speedy deliveries. It's a huge challenge for all the industries involved, for all the employees involved, and of course for you know just the flow of goods to, to final citizens. To consumers, it's it's just um, it's staggering, actually. The auto industry is especially dependent on those shipments and thousands of jobs. It is breathlessly stupid for a group that wants to uh, inspire people to join their movement to put those same people out of work. And now... And here, we are formally requesting additional resources. Windsor's mayor is asking for federal and provincial help, including more police officers. Is there a timeline to get this resolved? Again, it's Today, as tomorrow. the situation unfolds, um, we're not going to discuss our operational plans. Public safety is the number one priority, and we're looking to restore traffic flow in the area. As pressure to shut down this protest and reopen the bridge trucks intensifies. Such action may inflame the situation uh, and for, certainly cause more folks to come here and add to the protest, and we don't want to risk additional conflict. Back at the protest, I asked Greg about that. If they decide to uh, to break this up, what are you guys going to do? There'll be some resistance, just like Black Lives Matter resist. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Point Edward, Ontario. A Prince George business has been openly defying the public health orders, preventing nightclubs from opening, and the owners are promising to do it again this weekend. And if they do, officials say they will face the consequences. Our report is from CKPG News. Dancing, drinking, and not a mask in sight. It was a full-on pandemic party held last weekend in Prince George at the Lambda Cabaret, blatantly defying public health orders. All of these videos posted by the nightclub themselves, along with comments calling for others to join in on their so-called freedom fund. Um, You know... (laughs) Basically, a, a slap in the face to some of the healthcare workers have been working so hard for so long. 
I understand that people are frustrated and we want to do things that uh, we have been limited in for the last little while. The scenes from Lambda break public health orders on many levels, starting simply with they aren't even allowed to be open. There's even a sign on Lambda's door saying they won't enforce the BC vaccine card. And they're planning to do it all over again this weekend, according to their social media. I am so excited. I haven't been there in a while. And uh, last year, I, just, I came every time I could. Heather, a mother of four, says she'll be here for part two of the party. Things are closed up here now at Lambda, but it's still unclear how part one of the party was never shut down. RCMP, bylaw services, public health officers all have the power to warn, issue thousands of dollars in fines or shut it down here. But none of that was done. What we need to do is continue to work together so that we can put this behind us for once and for all and be able to support and get back to those important measures and those important celebrations in our life. Northern Health says enforcement could be coming and more could follow. In B.C., businesses who break the rules can also have their liquor license taken away or suspended. <laughs> We did reach out for comments several times to Lambda, but did not receive a response by deadline. Kaden Fanshaw, CKPG News. And late this afternoon, Northern Health did post on its website that the Lambda Cabaret was issued a closure order today for non-compliance. A shocking and somewhat bizarre update tonight to the tragic sudden death of comedian Bob Saget. Saget's family now says the comedian who died at the age of 65 in a Florida hotel room last month passed away as the result of head trauma. They say authorities have determined he accidentally hit the back of his head on something, possibly his headboard, thought nothing of it, went to sleep and never woke up. The family also says toxicology results show no drugs or alcohol were involved. It's been nearly six years since the overdose crisis was declared a public health emergency, but the number of people dying from toxic drugs continues to grow. New numbers released today by B.C.'s chief coroner show that 2021 was the deadliest year yet, triggering another round of calls for more and quicker government action to help end the dying. Catherine Urquhart reports. Toxic drugs are killing an astounding number of British Columbians. New record-breaking figures from BC's chief coroner have just been released. I am so sorry for your loss. And I am so sorry that now, in the seventh year of this public health emergency, the updates are still so tremendously devastating. In 2021, there were 2,224 deaths from drug overdoses, up 26% from 2020. November alone saw 210 people die, and in December, 215 people died, about seven individuals every day. Nearly 80% were men. Fundamentally, making the necessary changes that benefits people who use substances. And, and, and until we do, people will continue to die. 83% of the fatal overdoses involved fentanyl. Since a public health emergency was declared in 2016, more than 8,800 British Columbians have died from toxic drugs. The staggering numbers are prompting more demands for easier access to safer supplies and wraparound services. An approach that is based on harm reduction, prevention, treatment, 
and enforcement. Prescribed safer supply, along with harm reduction measures, are fundamental in eliminating stigma and bringing adequate attention to BC's overdose and toxic drug crisis. I'm tired of numbers. We're not numbers. We are people. Also reacting to the shocking drug death numbers, users. So long as a prohibition of drugs exists and people cannot get drugs in a safe, clean, tested manner, they will continue to die. Moms Stop the Harm say they're planning rallies in Victoria and Vancouver Thursday as they also call for more action to stop the mounting death toll. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Still ahead, yet another reason to visit the Okanagan. It rises up through the summit here, uh, which is about 1,600 vertical feet. The plan to build a gondola to give you a view you've never seen before. And simple, strong and sustainable. The B.C. entrepreneur turning bamboo into a thriving ski business. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, our next story is a great example of the power of the open sea captured off the coast of Vancouver Island. Yeah, be glad you weren't in a boat for this one. A Victoria-based marine data company says one of its boys off Euclid recorded a massive rogue wave. Kylie Stanton has the details and whether it posed a danger to the coastline. On top of that green marker buoy there is one of our instruments. It captures data, providing updates on the conditions. Right now it's really flat but oftentimes there can be a lot of wind and wave. That was the case seven kilometres off the coast of Euclid back in November of 2020, where one of Marine Lab's 26 buoys is located. And this is what it recorded. If you look at the way the buoy moves, it's, you know, basically riding this sort of looking like normal motions, and then all of a sudden it just kind of goes into a huge trough and then onto a peak and then down into an even bigger trough. And it's uh, basically really unique because it's so big relative to the waves that were happening in in behind it. At 17.6 metres, it's being called the most extreme rogue wave on record, measuring as high as a four-storey building. The probability of such an event occurring is once in a millennium. Didn't believe it at first. And so Marine Labs took the data to Dr. Johannes Gemrick, a rogue wave scientist at the University of Victoria. He and his team were able to analyze and confirm the findings. To really truly put numbers to this thing and, you know, validate that this truly did occur. And it's happening more frequently. But the power they're packing can often be dangerous, sometimes deadly. A husband and wife in their 50s did not make it back. In November of 2000, Scott Smith, the bassist for Canadian rock band Loverboy, was swept into the water after an 8-metre rogue wave hit his sailboat off the coast of San Francisco. His body was never recovered. And while this particular event didn't cause any damage, that may not always be the case. The more that we measure, the more we learn. Beattie believes instrumenting all of Canada's 10,000 buoys with the technology will allow scientists to better predict where and how rogue waves form, as well as the risks they pose. We can't really um, control what we don't measure. We can't really um, apply policy to what we don't measure. So this is an exciting opportunity to put instruments all along coastlines and do a much better job. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Some places they surf waves that size, but uh, amazing to think about right now. Okay, Christy joins us now with a look at uh, weather. And as we get a little bit closer to the weekend, people hoping for some more sunshine. 
Yes, so I do have some good news. It's always a bit iffy in this scenario where where will we get this the fog that we saw the last time we had this big upper level ridge. So hopefully that doesn't happen. But I do have some good news. First, I just want to show you an image that came to us from Lakels Lake, which is up and through uh, sort of uh, the North Coast inland section. So uh, southwest of uh, Terrace. Doug sending me this. So what happened was that there's quite a bit of uh, wind, strong winds in through that region and the ice, uh, mi- milder conditions there. Mice, uh, ice is starting starting to melt a little bit, but with the strong winds, the ice actually pushed up onto this dock and actually ruined the dock. And he noticed that that was happening on a few different areas. So the power of Mother Nature is so incredible when you get these strong winds and the ice just uh, pushing up onto it. Here's a quick look at the wind warnings that are in place. Uh, gusts up to 80 kilometers an hour. That should die down tomorrow. However, we're still expecting strong winds tomorrow. And the reason is that the jet stream is going to drive from northwest through to Alberta to southwest across that central interior region. So we're expecting gusts again tomorrow at 50, 60 kilometers an hour. No warnings in place at this point, but certainly gusty conditions. But it is going to push this system out of the way, clearing the skies across the area. So sunny, certainly, but it is going to be windy. And then that upper level ridge begins to build. And as I was talking about, with this type of upper level ridge, we get this fog layer or inversion created. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. We're wondering whether that will happen as we head into the next little while. Um, but it looks like we could just see patchy fog. I just have a video though from this morning and I was her. Look at that fog rolling in. So we're really hoping that that's not the case because as we well know, it's cold underneath that fog and all the sunshine is higher up. But it looks like Friday, Saturday and Sunday, we will uh, see just patchy fog in the morning and lots of sunshine. Tomorrow's a transition day. It's Friday, Saturday and Sunday that you can expect that sunshine, hopefully reaching into the double digits if we do get that sunshine tonight central windows weather window coming to from abbotsford cindy sending us this she captured this little guy with a nice little grin for us to finish things off tonight <laughs> striking a pose <laughs> looks good thanks christy well the okanagan could soon have a major new tourist attraction a multi-million dollar gondola has been proposed for an area just south of vernon proponents are hoping it will become one of the main stops for visitors to the area global's megan turcato has the details would you like to take a gondola ride overlooking Kalamalka Lake? That could soon be a possibility if a proposed new Okanagan gondola tourist attraction goes ahead. It rises up through the summit here, uh, which is about 1,600 vertical feet. There'll be a summit station with a restaurant at the top with 360-degree views of kind of the whole area with Kalamalka Lake. A company called Ridge North America wants to build the attraction west of highest of Highway 97, just south of the off to Predator Ridge. The business feels the gondola, inspired by the Sea to Sky gondola in Squamish, will fill a gap in the region's current tourist offerings. It's been missing a paid ticketed attraction in this area for families. You know, there's hundreds of millions of dollars being invested in the area. We just found that no one's really. Um, create an experience for everyone to enjoy from grandma to small children. Along with the gondola itself, the plan for the site includes an amphitheater, plaza, cafes, trails and eventually even zip lines. But the business says the project will keep a low profile and the developed footprint will only take up a fraction of the large site. 
And we've done something very similar in a previous project of ours where we use the land as the attraction in itself. You know, so it's like from the highway and from from afar, you won't even see this, that it's here. A development application for the Okanagan Gondola has been submitted to the regional district. The local politician that represents the area says it's premature for him to take a position on the project before he's seen an upcoming staff report. I think uh, any director is would be in trouble if you start uh, advocating one way or the other for it. Uh, lacking all the information. The project is expected to require a zoning adjustment and a change to the official community plan. When it's uh, on the scope and scale that it is, if it moves forward in our process, every you know people will have an opportunity to comment, definitely. If the gondola gets the green light, proponents are hoping people could be visiting the attraction within a couple of years. Megan Turcato, Global News, near Vernon. Pretty cool. Mm. All right, Squire is here. Elias Pedersen seems to take direction pretty well. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. We talked all about it last night, that uh, he had to shoot more. Well, we didn't tell him that. I mean, we told him that from afar, but his coach said he was watching. He was watching. And he did score last night. He took the advice of his coach and perhaps us as well to be a little um, more selfish. I'm uh, the type of player I am. I always try to find a pass for rather than shooting. Mind you, he really had no one to pass to in this play, so he had to shoot. The Canucks play the Islanders tonight. All worked out for him. Also tonight, a more natural way to ski. The local entrepreneur hoping his bamboo ski poles pay off. Watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, our next story is a great example of the power of the open sea captured off the coast of Vancouver Island. Yeah, be glad you weren't in a boat for this one. A Victoria based marine data company says one of its boys off Euclid recorded a massive rogue wave. Kylie Stanton has the details and whether it posed a danger to the coastline. On top of that green marker buoy there is one of our instruments. It captures data, providing updates on the conditions. Right now it's really flat, but oftentimes there can be a lot of wind and wave. That was the case seven kilometres off the coast of Euclid back in November of 2020, where one of Marine Lab's 26 buoys is located. And this is what it recorded. If you look at the way the buoy moves, it's you know basically riding this sort of looking like normal motions. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of goes into a huge trough and then onto a peak and then down into an even bigger trough. And it's uh, basically really unique because it's so big relative to the waves that were happening in, in behind it. At 17.6 meters, it's being called the most extreme rogue wave on record, measuring as high as a four-story building. The probability of such an event occurring is once in a millennium. Didn't believe it at first. And so Marine Labs took the data to Dr. Johannes Gemrick, a rogue wave scientist at the University of Victoria. He and his team were able to analyze and confirm the findings. To really truly put numbers to this thing and, you know, validate that this truly did occur. And it's happening more frequently. But the power they're packing can often be dangerous, sometimes deadly. A husband and wife in their 50s did not make it back. 
In November of 2000, Scott Smith, the bassist for Canadian rock band Loverboy, was swept into the water after an 8-meter rogue wave hit his sailboat off the coast of San Francisco. His body was never recovered. And while this particular event didn't cause any damage, that may not always be the case. The more that we measure, the more we learn. Beattie believes instrumenting all of Canada's 10,000 buoys with the technology will allow scientists to better predict where and how rogue waves form as well as the risks they pose. We can't really um, control what we don't measure. We can't really um, apply policy to what we don't measure. So this is an exciting opportunity to put instruments all along coastlines and do a much better job. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Some places they surf waves that size, but uh, amazing to think about right now. Okay, Christy joins us now with a look at uh, weather. And as we get a little bit closer to the weekend, people hoping for some more sunshine. Yes, so I do have some good news. It's always a bit iffy in this scenario where where will we get this the fog that we saw the last time we had this big upper level ridge. So hopefully that doesn't happen. But I do have some good news. First, I just want to show you an image that came to us from Lakelse Lake, which is up and through uh, sort of uh, the north coast inland section. So uh, southwest of uh, Terrace. Doug sending me this. So what happened was that there's quite a bit of uh, wind, strong winds in through that region and the ice, uh, mi- milder conditions there. My, uh, ice is starting starting to melt a little bit, but with the strong winds, the ice actually pushed up onto this dock and actually ruined the dock. And he noticed that that was happening on a few different areas. So the power of Mother Nature is so incredible when you get these strong winds and the ice just uh, pushing up onto it. Here's a quick look at the wind warnings that are in place. Uh, gusts up to 80 kilometers an hour. That should die down tomorrow. However, we're still expecting strong winds tomorrow. And the reason is that the jet stream is going to drive from northwest through to Alberta to southwest across that central interior region. So we're expecting gusts again tomorrow at 50, 60 kilometers an hour. No warnings in place at this point, but certainly gusty conditions. But it is going to push this system out of the way, clearing the skies across the area. So sunny, certainly, but it is going to be windy. And then that upper level ridge begins to build. And as I was talking about, with this type of upper level ridge, we get this fog layer or inversion created. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. We're wondering whether that will happen as we head into the next little while. Um, but it looks like we could just see patchy fog. I just have a video, though, from this morning, and I was her. look at that fog rolling in. So we're really hoping that that's not the case, because as we well know, it's cold underneath that fog, and all the sunshine is higher up. But it looks like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we will uh, see just patchy fog in the morning and lots of sunshine. Tomorrow's a transition day. It's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that you can expect that sunshine, hopefully reaching into the double digits if we do get that sunshine tonight central windows weather window coming to from abbotsford cindy sending us this she captured this little guy with a nice little grin for us to finish things off tonight <laughs> striking a pose <laughs> looks good thanks christy well the okanagan could soon have a major new tourist attraction a multi-million dollar gondola has been proposed for an area just south of vernon proponents are hoping it will become one of the main stops for visitors to the area global's megan turcato has the details would you like to take a gondola ride overlooking Kalamalka Lake? That could soon be a possibility if a proposed new Okanagan gondola tourist attraction goes ahead. It rises up through the summit here, uh, which is about 1,600 vertical feet. There'll be a summit station with a restaurant at the top with 360-degree views of kind of the whole area with Kalamalka Lake. Four 
front. A company called Ridge North America wants to build the attraction west of highest of Highway 97, just south of the off to Predator Ridge. The business feels the gondola, inspired by the Sea to Sky gondola in Squamish, will fill a gap in the region's current tourist offerings. It's been missing a paid ticketed attraction in this area for families. You know, there's hundreds of millions of dollars being invested in the area. We just found that no one's really um, created an experience for everyone to enjoy from grandma to small children. Along with the gondola itself, the plan for the site includes an amphitheater, plaza, cafes, trails and eventually even zip lines. But the business says the project will keep a low profile and the developed footprint will only take up a fraction of the large site. And we've done something very similar in a previous project of ours where we use the land as the attraction in itself. You know, so it's like from the highway and from from afar, you won't even see this, that it's here. A development application for the Okanagan Gondola has been submitted to the regional district. The local politician that represents the area says it's premature for him to take a position on the project before he's seen an upcoming staff report. I think uh, any director is would be in trouble if you start uh, advocating one way or the other for it. Uh, lacking all the information. The project is expected to require a zoning adjustment and a change to the official community plan. When it's uh, on the scope and scale that it is, if it moves forward in our process, every you know people will have an opportunity to comment, definitely. If the gondola gets the green light, proponents are hoping people could be visiting the attraction within a couple of years. Megan Turcato, Global News, near Vernon. Pretty cool. Mm. All right, Squire is here. Elias Pedersen seems to take direction pretty well. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. We talked all about it last night, that uh, he had to shoot more. Well, we didn't tell him that. I mean, we told him that from afar, but his coach said he was watching. He was watching. And he did score last night. He took the advice of his coach and perhaps us as well to be a little um, more selfish. I'm uh, the type of player I am. I always try to find a pass for rather than shooting. Mind you, he really had no one to pass to in this play, so he had to shoot. The Canucks play the Islanders tonight. All worked out for him. Also tonight, a more natural way to ski. The local entrepreneur hoping his bamboo ski poles pay off. The tie is straight. Looks good. (laughs) Looking good. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. The Canucks uh, back at it tonight, Squire. Yes, they didn't really get a lot of time to savor that win over the Coyotes last night because they are still home and the Islanders are in town. And Yaroslav Halak is going to start in goal for Vancouver. Uh, New York has not played the way they did last year in the playoffs when they were great. In fact, last week they were shut out by Seattle. But... Bruce Boudreaux says the Islanders, despite that, are not to be taken lightly. They are finally healthy. It's going to be an incredibly tough challenge. They rested. They're not, uh, they hadn't played last night. So um, but we've got to be at our best and have, you know, no, uh, nobody, uh, no passengers. We've got to have 20 guys playing the right way if we want to succeed tonight. Now, Elias Pettersson has been the subject of a lot of conversations this season. Yesterday, we delved into it, delved into it, I should say, rather extensively. Boost Boudreau talked about how he's been encouraging Pettersson 
to be a little more selfish. Shoot first, ask questions later. Now, he did score last night in that win over Arizona, but Pedersen is someone who admits he likes to set people up for goals before he thinks about getting one himself. I'm uh, that's the type of player I am. I always trying to find a pass for it rather than shooting. Uh, why? I don't know. It's, a, I guess, a, a good problem to have. But, I mean, uh, I know I got a good shot, but uh, I definitely can't use it more. Uh, I think if I start... Um, being sh- uh, shot first mentality, maybe things, uh, more passes will open up. So um, it's little stuff like that that I know I can work on and, and take advantage of. Montreal Canadiens fired head coach Dominique Ducharme today and replaced him on an interim basis with Hall of Famer Martin San Louis, who has never coached at the pro level in his life, except he did consult with John Tortorella for a while while Tortorella was running Columbus. Now, that means in less than a year, the Montreal Canadiens have had three head coaches, two general managers, they were in the Stanley Cup final, and right now, they're the worst team in the NHL. That's a lot in less than a year. Uh, Brad Marchand doing Brad Marchand things last night, punching Tristan Jari, and then putting his stick in his face at the end of the game between the Bruins and the Penguins. Today, he was suspended for six games, the eighth time in his career he has been suspended. I know, I know. Whitecaps against uh, New Mexico United of the USL. Wasn't a great game. Godoy chance. Bar. That's as close as Vancouver would get to uh, scoring a goal in this one. 0-0 was the final score in this exhibition game, which was played down in San Diego. Hey, big congratulations to Prince George's Marietta O'Dine, who won a bronze medal in snowboard cross at the Winter Olympics. She becomes the first ever PG athlete to win an Olympic medal. She has overcome a lot. Four years ago, a concussion took her out of the Olympics. 2020, her brother died of cancer. She's overcome all of that. And before this bronze medal, her best finish on the World Cup circuit was third in 2017. So let's take a look at the medal standings. Last time we checked. And uh, Canada is uh, at eight. ROC still leading at 11. Mike Taylor is a new head coach of the Fraser Valley Bandits after a successful run as head coach of Poland's national team for the past seven years where he took that country from 42nd in the world rankings to 13th overall. The Bandits will start the Canadian Elite basketball season on May 25th. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said today the NFL needs to do more when it comes to diversity hiring, especially for head coaches. In the recent round of head coach hirings in the NFL, they pretty much failed to do that. We made a tremendous amount, a lot of progress in a lot of areas, but not at the head coach. And that is something that uh, is something we really have focused on to try to get the kind of results that we would expect. And we fell short of that by a long shot for us. All right, I want to show you this. Wilfred Zaha of Crystal Palace. Watch this great goal for him today. This is brilliant. Now, a few minutes later, he gets a penalty kick. This is brutal. From the sublime to the ridiculous. It's Zaha. Oh, what the? Wow. It's much better when there are people between them. Uh, there's a rumor going around right now that the Vancouver Canucks might hire another assistant GM, possibly Cami Granado, who is working with mm. the Seattle Kraken right now. We'll wait and see if that happens. There you go. 
Interesting. All right. Thanks, Squire. A B.C. entrepreneur looking for more sustainable ski poles decided to make them himself. His growing bamboo business. Next. Believe B.C. is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross Small Business Health Plans. Find out more at PacificBlueCross.ca. A North Vancouver man's time working in Japan was cut short because of the pandemic. But when he returned home, he found a way to bring a Japanese influence to his love of skiing. As Aaron MacArthur tells us on tonight's Believe BC, the pandemic hobby he found has turned into a side hustle. Cut by hand, assembled one at a time in his aunt's garage. Ben Rabalski has taken the simplest of ideas and turned it into a small business. Skiers need poles. He asked why not use something renewable. And my kind of slogan is simple, strong and sustainable. Working on mysteries without the idea came to Rabalski after the pandemic forced him to leave his job at a Japanese ski resort. The wild bamboo that grows on the ski runs, an inspiration to make a set of poles instead of buying new. A couple of sticks of bamboo from his girlfriend's garden were the first iteration. The response in the lift line was instant. Every single time I was standing in, in a line, somebody was going, those are awesome, those are so, so cool. And then people started going, like, where can I get a pair? And I was like, oh, I don't sell them. In November 2021, sasasticks.com went live. Ben met his goal of selling 30 pairs by the new year. He's hoping for 100 more this year. Orders have come in from around BC, but the real light bulb moment came when he took an order from Newark, New Jersey. I don't, I don't have the, the license to sell to the States yet, so I was like... I'm sorry, I can't, I can't sell to you. And she was so confused. She was like, what? What do you mean? Like, aren't, you're a, aren't you a big company? The like, bamboo sourced from a local distributor. The grips, tips, and baskets are theoretically reusable. It's a business model Rawalski wants to see permeate the whole ski industry. I think it's the, the type of product that is going to spark that idea in an industry like skiing that relies on, on snow and the climate to to thrive, that we need to start creating sustainable solutions to, to products. Scaling the business, the next hurdle for the entrepreneur. But the goal is not to mass manufacture this product. Simple, strong, and sustainable means staying true to the process. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Yeah, mainly just Brilliant. Wish him a lot of luck in that business endeavor. Very cool. Okay, uh, no major snowstorms for skiing in the forecast, at least in the short term, Christy. No, thankfully, that's the case. Uh, we are going to see a bit of a drizzly start to the day tomorrow, but we're really hoping for a transition day with breaks of blue sky. Again, we're on fog watch for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, really keeping our fingers crossed that that inversion doesn't develop so we can enjoy some. All right, thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Have a good night.